often the best things to do to find equipment is to go into people's shops and you often go in looking for one thing and then you don't make a deal on that and then you see something in the corner and it's not running and you go well what about that and they're like oh you're interested in that and you're like well maybe and somebody's trash is another man's treasure Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. From Clorox wipes to baby formula to semiconductor chips, simply buying the things we need as consumers or as business buyers has been difficult, if not impossible, over the past few years. And for those of you responsible for buying machinery in your manufacturing operations, it's likely you've experienced similar challenges. My guest today thinks of himself as a treasure hunter, not for gold or silver, but for used machinery. And he's here to tell you how the used machinery business has changed during a time when buying new isn't always an option. Let me introduce him. Noah Graff is a podcaster, blogger, and manager at Today's Machining World, where he helps professionals in precision machining succeed in their careers. He is also the host of the Swarfcast podcast. 12 years ago, Noah joined Graff Pinkard and Company, his family's used machinery business, or as he prefers to call it, treasure hunting business. Founded by Noah's grandfather 80 years ago, at Graff Pinkert, Noah serves as vice president and machinery dealer, a role that often leads him on treasure hunts all around the world. A film major in college, Noah has done various side projects over the years, including documentaries and a reality show. Noah lives in the Chicago area with his wife, Stephanie, and baby boy, Abe. Noah, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. And what a wonderful way of summing up my professional life. Hey, man, it's, 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 I like to have a little personal touch in there and set the context for our listeners. So. Yeah, ask me, ask me about whatever, whatever you want. And yeah. We're going to do it. We're definitely, definitely going to dive into the treasure hunting element too, because most people don't really get to put that in their job title. So it's kind of cool. Well, no, it was, it's great talking again. I was a guest on your podcast, Swarfcast, I don't know, a year or so ago, something like that. That's about the time we first met. And I remember you were like very inquisitive when you were setting, doing a pre-call with me, like, who is this, this marketing guy? I got to make sure this guy actually knows what he's, he's talking about. And was I really? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's funny. Cause like, I would be doing the same thing if, if if I were you. But as our listeners know, I've been working with manufacturers. What's that? I said, how did I find out about you? I'm trying to I don't, think. I don't know. It's it's a mystery. It could have been LinkedIn. It could have been... Maybe you know, I was just scrolling through different podcasts about manufacturing and it found you. That That could have been... Yeah. Quite likely. Yeah. But well, anyway, here we are. And I'm, I'm excited to have uh, put the spotlight on you this time around. So... 
I think you're you're in a very interesting corner of the manufacturing machinery business, and especially at this moment in time, I think there's some interesting things going on that make what you're doing exceptionally relevant. So very curious to this conversation. Yeah, let's let's rock and roll. It's nice to be on the other end. That yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's. I've found it's a little easier to be on the receiving end of a podcast because you're just talking about the stuff you talk about all the time versus having to really prep a good interview. That's it's can be challenging sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I don't know that's true. I don't know the preparation. That's true, and I try to prep. Yeah. But that said, I I'm not going to lie. I sometimes edit. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> a lot of podcasters don't edit, or they say they don't. I always have that in my mind. Generally, I'm only editing when I'm stumbling. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see how you do. No, I'll, no, I'll you, a, you don't. I'll have give you to... a grade at the end of the episode. <laughs> awesome. So, well, uh, well, let's let's go here first. You know, we're talking a little bit about. You know, we're both podcasters here. I one thing that's undeniable to me as a manufacturing sector podcast host is that. I learned so much from talking to people in this space week after week after week. This is, you're going to be episode 127. So this, my show has been running for, I don't know, coming up on two and a half years here, I guess. And I'm just, I'm, a, I'm better at what I do. I understand my audience better by hearing other people talk rather than me talking at them. That's been probably my favorite part about being a podcast host, in addition to just meeting very interesting people who have are deep experts in what they do. Your podcast, Swarfcast, is, is more niched down than mine. Like you're in precision machining, which I it's, think is... It's for people in precision machining, but obviously I talk to people like you. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it would be hard to do every single thing with only precision machining people. It's just that that's who I sell machines to generally. So that, and today's machining world, which has been around, that's our blog used to be a print magazine Mm -hmm. that's been around for 20 years. Yeah. And that was directed at precision machining, like turn parts, screw machine parts. So yeah, we're a niche, but I mean, it's it's relatively similar. I mean, we have a lot of the same guests, and sure, sure, yeah, no, that that makes sense. And but I mean, you've got a defined audience, and you're creating content for them, and you talk to a lot of people who influence either are a part of that space or influence that space. And so, I'm just curious, out of the gate here, for you to tell us what are some of the trends and insights you're seeing from talking to so many people in that space? What's going on in 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 that in your world? Sure. Business for our clientele seems to be really, really good. It's been our best year at Graf Pinkert. And the business is so interesting because machines that, for instance, there's a machine called a Davenport. It's a screw machine. It's, it is one of the oldest multi-spindle screw machines. You know, multi-spindle screw machines, mm-hmm. they're, it's like they're for real high volume. It's like having five lathes or six lathes at a time. So this machine, Davenport, it is known by some people as the machine that won World War II because the Germans, they only had like single spindle lathes and this had five spindles. And it's almost the same design as it was back then, but it's just really great for spitting out parts and we had a Davenport that sat in our warehouse for two years. And this year, we've probably sold 
80 of them. It's just, it's, wow. it's really interesting how just the mechanical screw machines that people may have labeled as commodities, there's just a huge demand. And that's the machine we've made, probably made the most money on this year because the CNC machines, the really nice stuff, the late model stuff, all the dealers are looking for it. Uh, and so that's w one thing this year. It's really, really hard to find inventory because if people have something decent, they don't want to get rid of it. In the last few months, it's uh, as everybody can feel it with the raised interest rates and inflation and war and everybody's feeling a little uneasy, but you've probably noticed in our world, people are still making parts. The manufacturers are still going They're They're not really, the work isn't going away. If anything, they're still getting more work, but it kind of seems like it's kind of like when you're looking at a stock and some stocks are like, buy, buy, buy. Some are sell. And some are like, we're, we're holding it's, you know, this is good, but we're not going to back up the truck. And when that's the case, I think that's when it's the toughest for machinery business, because at least when lots of people are wanting stuff, somebody's getting rid of something often, but it's a very tight market. But I, I talk to people every day making medical parts, aerospace parts, automotive parts, and nobody wants to get rid of their machines because they say they have plenty of work. I talk to new machinery dealers all the time. Like I was talking to a guy who sells citizen Swiss machines. You know, they're like, they're probably the most popular. Now, I mean, it depends who you ask, but they're one of the most popular machines. And they have backlogs for years. Just, I mean, they don't have any equipment to sell, which is there. That's where used machinery comes into play, too. Like people sometimes will pay, it's kind of like cars in a way, you know, people will pay a lot for used cars right now because they can't get the new cars. I just bought a new car this week and I think that the market is a little looser than people have been saying. I don't know. I didn't think it was, they threatened me like we only have one of these on the lot. Like, yeah, fine. But so that's, that's what we're feeling. Everybody's pretty upbeat. People are pretty in touch with, politics and everything and so they're on watch but at the same time people still need all this stuff and people aren't you know I, they need people they tell me if i only had another person to run this machine i would buy this machine some of the machines we sell it's kind of interesting because you know we sell mechanical a lot of the machines we sell are mechanical screw machines. And in a mechanical screw machine, like if it's from the 80s or 90s, it's, it's often considered young. It's like mm -hmm. if it was made after I was born in 1980, it's like a pretty modern mechanical screw machine. And so, you know, that's that's just an interesting niche where sort of, during between that and the really modern ones. Sometimes the older ones, 
people have the work for them and they just can't find somebody that wants to get into mechanical, dirty, oily screw machines because the kids want to push buttons. They don't want to be in a factory that's super loud and kind of dirtyish and has the reputation for that. I, I have a guy in San Antonio, Bill Cox, who I've interviewed a couple of times, and he has a pretty involved apprentice program at his in his shop. And he actually pays more for people who want to learn the mechanical screw machines than the people that want to learn the CNC screw machines. Because, I mean, it's in, maybe in some respects it's a higher skill level and also it's just a, a di it's a different skill level. And just to find young people that want to get dirty and, you know, do things the old way is harder. So, you know, I know you talk about skills gap and everybody's talking about that. That's just another wrinkle in it. So that's a little bit what I'm hearing, but I, I, there's, there's all kinds of other stuff, but mainly positives and it's really encouraging. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, you're coming at this from a, a different angle than a lot of people I talk to, but I'm hearing a lot of the same general pulse on things is business is strong, but you know, labor is tough to find. We can't get whether it's the parts we need or the machines we need. So yeah, I guess it's got you in a, in a good position at this moment in time in, in your own business, at least. If we can find them, if, you if can we find can them, find them, we keep saying, I mean, we've, you know, we have a lot of cash and we keep saying, you know, we're looking for inventory. We're looking for treasure. And but of course you don't want to buy crap yeah. just to have something. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value. No cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Talk about the treasure hunting side of your business. I like the way you described that. I think that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Well, you know, the treasure hunting, it, I'll, I'll confess, I didn't come up with it. I, I was seeing an analyst and for a bit 
and I was, was, you know, I was going into the business and, uh, you know, you can look at things different ways. You can look at it as I go and find old, greasy, dirty screw machines, and then maybe we fix them a little bit or rebuild them, and then I sell it to other people for more money. Or I just find machines that are undervalued. And But then, you know, you can look at things different ways. You can romanticize things. You can look at it in a more interesting positive way and as you said i'm I'm a filmmaker filmmaking i think also has some treasure just trying to solve problems and figure out different things at the time i was seeing him i was making a documentary about all the chicago locations of ferris bueller's day off and in the movie for the documentary i go to like every location and then I try to recapture the experience of the movie. We go to find people's backyards where he was running through or go find a house where, you know, where he takes the car from. And it was the same kind of thing, like trying to find treasure, trying to find something interesting and trying to find do do something that other people aren't doing. And it makes it it makes it cool. I, I call other dealers on the phone and I say, Hey, do you have any treasure lately? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what sort of treasure are you looking for? And also the treasure is just, it's, it's the stuff that people don't know. It's what it's worth. And my colleague Rex, uh, I've learned a lot from him. And one thing he said was the dirty machines are the ones you make the most money from. When you go, often the best things to do to find equipment is to go into people's shops. And you often go in looking for one thing and then you don't make a deal on that. And then you see something in the corner and it's not running and you go, well, what about that? And they're like, oh, you're interested in that? And you're like, well, maybe. And somebody's trash is another man's treasure. I also like the thing I've been saying is as far as like the dirty machines, you, you, are you familiar with the term sexy, ugly? Somebody, I, I got it from, I don't know, a movie or a TV show. You look at Mick Jagger, right? He's, he's not a good looking guy. He's, you know, he's, but some people would call him sexy, ugly. So often the equipment to make the most money on is, sexy ugly because the really sexy sexy stuff everybody knows it's worth something nobody wants to give you a good price so you're not going to like be able to buy it and sell it for more money than you buy it for because it's just obvious you know so that's that's treasure hunting in a nutshell the other thing that we like to talk about is serendipity i interviewed a guy who's an expert who wrote a book about serendipity i think it's called the serendipity mindset you know it's it's about being in the right place at the right time making your luck you know you're never going to find these machines unless you're going around looking you know you're never gonna you're never gonna find anything interesting unless you put some blurb on the web saying hey i'm looking for you know 
a Lyco machine or a Williman machine or just something random, you know? And I, the other day I was looking for a star machine, star Swiss machine. And this dealer who I had never met before, he just had happened to be offered one. And so he emails me and wants to work together because he, it was coincidence, but this is the way I, I think we're always looking for, for serendipity. It's like, we'll call somebody because they offered somebody, for, some, for instance, somebody was asking for this weird machine. I think it was a Tornos Sigma, this machine that hasn't been made in 10 years. And then I thought to myself, there was a guy who sent me an email about that machine like six months ago. So I email him and I'm like, do you have this? And he's like, no, I don't have this. But I have this whole like shop of machines I want to get rid of. I want to get rid of like eight machines. And like most of them were like really interesting treasure. So that's serendipity. I love it. Any uh, interesting stories or places you've visited on, on these treasure hunts? Sure. Sure. I, I got all kinds of interesting stories. Yeah. Give me one. Give me one good one. Well, we had this Spanish company. We do a lot of business around the world. We had this Spanish company that was looking for this really obscure screw machine. It was like a a shitta multi spindle configured like a chucker, and they only made this machine in the seventies or eighties. And there's just so few and. I was looking online and I saw this this ad from this tiny dealer in Slovenia and so I meet this I meet my Spanish customer and we drive to Slovenia and the machine was literally in a barn like there was a wall the machines on one side of the wall and then you can hear cows mooing in the other side we'll go to Brazil or Korea Japan, just all over. And then we'll take one and sell it to some other country. Back a long time ago, before I was in the business, there was a machine, a multi-spindle screw machine called a cone or a conomatic. And the government had like built this arsenal of machines just in case we were in the next war, like after Korea or after Vietnam. And they, they, they put all these machines like in hiding in these caves in Kansas city. And then like in the nineties, the government was finally like, all right, let's get rid of these. And so I guess Raph Pinkert was going in and just buying them like for very little money and just selling them really fast because they were cheap. But, you know, so you get into like interesting Stuff like that. That's that's really cool. Well, Noah, we don't have to tell our listeners about supply chain challenges that have obviously plagued the manufacturing sector and beyond over the last few years, but I'm curious how it's affected large equipment manufacturing. I mean, I think you've kind of hinted at that earlier, but yeah, just kind of curious as to how different it's been the last few years and, and, and how that's affected this world of used equipment. So are you kind of hinting at like the whole onshoring, shoring work back, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I'm just 
curious where what you're seeing from from your end i you know obviously yeah. it's been tough to build a lot of things when i mean geez i know people who've been trying to build homes over the last few years and the materials are up and nobody knows where you know some you know or, or whether it's a, a manufacturer with some little part that they don't know if it's sitting on a boat in china or yeah you know, outside of san francisco so, or whatever right so, so what's yeah. happened is that yeah people haven't been able to rely on china in particular for parts mm -hmm. because the pandemic or because of supply chain because of long beach because the, the ports all messed up containers are so expensive work a lot of times it was you know we, we interviewed a guy who he was related a lot to onshoring bringing work back and for a long time people it was sort of anecdotal like there really wasn't any data to show that it actually was happening but i think there is now um you're seeing you're seeing work coming back and or just people quoting jobs for parts and rather than quoting parts for rather than them going to china to quote those parts they're just coming to a local manufacturer to, to do it because in the end the price is the same or better here because they're not going to have as many rejects they're not going to have trouble getting the parts over here. And you, you know, and you all, you're also seeing, are you familiar with the term nearshoring? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some of the stuff is going back to Mexico or Canada, but it's, it's still nearby. It's still sort of domestic. So you're seeing that as well. Mm -hmm. And it's still like the supply chain of machine tools. It's hard to, I mean, that's partly just from demand too. It's hard to get enough of them. Metals. That's that's hard. People, I think that's getting a little easier, but everybody was really having trouble getting the right materials they needed. Part of it may have come from tariffs from he must not be named. Um, and so that's another issue. Fair enough. How, what's the machinery market? How does it look different now in, say, North America versus South America, Europe, Asia, other places? Do you see it? I mean, you kind of travel sure, the world yeah. and see it across different geog geographical regions. Just curious if you're yeah. seeing it different. No, that's a perfect question. I was talking to my friend Uli in Germany uh, about two hours ago. He's got a machine we're looking at, and I said, how is, how is it over there And in Germany? And he's like, well, it's kind of tough right now. We've got the energy crisis. I said at the beginning of the year, it was diesel, the diesel scandal. I'm trying to think. There was something else, too. They're, they're having some difficulty. It depends on the country. I was talking to a guy in England earlier in the week. They're trying to buy some machines. Didn't work, unfortunately. The currency has been great for us. Um, we haven't bought anything yet from Europe, but we used to buy stuff from Europe all the time. And then the euro went too high and then it became pretty cross, cost prohibitive. But it could be a nice situation for us if things are slowing down there. That said, I mean, we sold some machines to Europe recently to a guy in France. And I think it depends on the country. I've heard Italy is slowing a little bit. I've heard... I. I I think Germany is still 
probably going pretty strong. South America, I've got a guy I work with from Brazil, and he he exports all our machines to Brazil, and he seems to have a lot of business in Brazil and Mexico. Um, in we're trying to buy some machines in Japan right now, and their currency is really low. We're trying to feel it out. He says the used machinery business has been good over there. I don't know. Who who knows? People say all kinds of things. But yeah, I think probably here is one of the best places to be making parts. But there's always people who need parts. It's just a matter of a little bit of supply and demand. There's You're always going to need parts. Noah, I really appreciate you doing this today. It was, it was an awesome conversation. And I, I just want to give you a chance to tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about today's machining world and Swarfcast and Graph Pinker and all the awesome stuff you're doing. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. First of all, if you want to listen to our podcast in which we talk about many of the same things Joe talks about and then, but gives a different spin, a little bit different spin, a little bit of niche and just our our style it's it's called swarfcast stands for like the chips and oil and crud in, inside the belly of the machine just in case you wondered that and then we have a blog and a, a website it's more than just a blog it's called today's machining world and that's where swarf came from so you can find it at todaysmachiningworld.com or swarfcast.com and if you're looking for a used machine tool um particularly something screw machines swiss maybe even milling machines or whatever go to graphpinkert.com g-r-a-f-f is in frank p-i-n-k-e-r-t.com and you can just ask for me and i really again i really appreciate this opportunity joe it's fun to be interviewed and look forward to you know continuing our relationship Beautiful. Appreciate it as well, Noah. Thanks for doing this. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>